The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing good today. Hey, real quick, want to give a shout out to all of you that donated clothing the last couple of weeks. Uh, We're doing a clothing drive, and I just want to celebrate real quick uh, everybody's generosity. Uh, We were able to collect 662 coats, 172 hats or pairs of gloves, 47 pairs of boots. We were able to help over 300 homeless students in our school district with socks, hats, gloves, coats, winter clothes and blankets. And uh, for whatever reason, we decided to, to weigh it, I guess, but uh, we donated over 3,000 pounds of winter clothing to the uh, clothing bank. So anyway, yeah, I want to give a shout out to everybody for that generosity. Now, some of you don't care about what I'm about to say. Some of you care deeply about this, but you might notice I am clean shaven today. And um, it's, it's a little bit shameful to have to say it, but what happened was this week they said, hey, there's staff pictures. For the website. And I'm like, I can't look like a burglar in the staff pictures. So I got to take care of this. So what I did, and then also uh, I was, uh, they, they had me open in prayer for the Marysville Rotary Auction. Again, I wanted to look respectable in my suit. And so my patchy beard really wasn't pulling it off. Um, anyway, so what I did was I went home and I shaved, but just so you know, I did the whole sh- only shave part of it kind of thing. Uh, and then I went and showed my wife how amazing I looked. And this is the picture that she got when I showed her. And so... Um, Now, listen, just to be transparent, I would have kept it at this point, except that she had one word for me, and that word was Fritz. Now, if you know what that means, that's my dad's name. And so immediately I realized it was time to get rid of that. Um, So anyway, and then a little TMI, but at this point now we can finally make out again. So we're good. Everything's good. Our marriage marriage is is good. Uh, People are like, hey, it's no shave November. You could go for it again. And I'm just not sure it's worth it. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Pray for me. It's a big, big struggle in my own heart. So anyway, um, James chapter uh, five is where we're going to land. Today is the last in our series, uh, James, back to the basics. And uh, I'm going to tackle the whole chapter. To be honest with you, there is so much content here. This is like a series within itself. And especially because as we end this letter, uh, there's all kinds of conversations. They kind of jump all over like, hey, here's a bunch of last things to say. And he kind of throws it all in there. So it's almost like everything but the kitchen sink in the message. And it starts out with a real, real serious tone. But let me, uh, let me pray, and then we'll jump into James chapter 5. God, thank you for uh, the, the scriptures today as we walk through them. And um, we, we believe, I believe wholeheartedly, that this is not just a letter that was written or, or, or something from a, a big book from a long time ago. I believe you've given us an incredible gift in what we call the Bible and what we call the scriptures. And, and different than what other people write as, as self-help help or even great Christian authors that have great things to say that the Bible uh, paired with the Holy Spirit is alive and has the ability to literally set us free, to literally transform us, to literally do the work that that only the scriptures and the Holy Spirit can do. And so Father, um, I surrender to it. I pray for your heart, your wisdom, even as we walk through it today in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we jump in here in verse one, uh, let me just give you a little bit of back. If you missed any of these messages, I encourage you, you can go back and you can listen. We've tackled chapter one, two, three, four. Obviously today is chapter five, but you can go back and listen to those various topics. But at, at verse one, it says this. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. And and 
hear that part. That's kind of a big key to this whole portion. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you refused or you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Now, when you read all of this, obviously here, and this has happened a bunch of times in this letter, there's a real serious tone. And on one hand, here's what we could do. If you want to take this just at face value, I would say this. If you are a business owner that employs others, or you're, the, you're a manager that makes decisions about the financial well-being of any people below you, then stay in the room. Everybody else go get some more coffee and come back in about five minutes. Because in, in one sense, that's what he's talking about. But what I want to do for a moment here is give you kind of the broader picture that really does involve all of us when it comes to this word greed or hoarding because a basic spiritual principle that every single one of us has got to understand is we have to look at finances in light of eternity. And there's no way around that. We're not going to skip over it because on one hand, this applies to business owners or people that employ others or whatever. For all of us, we have to look at finances in light of eternity. And when we talk about being readers of scripture, one of the things that you might do or maybe you've done in the past is look at these verses and compare, compare them to others that talk about what does it mean to not live greedy or not to, 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 to not live thinking of, of hoarding and deal with that. So if you do that, and if you're taking notes, you can write down Luke chapter 12, because Jesus is going to tell a certain story in verses 13 through 21. Quick time out here. In the seat in front of you, there's some notes, and you can use those to write on if you want to. There's also some pens there. Um, for life group discussion, those are helpful, but really for anybody, if you want to use those, and of course, if you're online, uh, they're dropped down in the comments, so you can check those out as well. But um, like I said, Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story that helps us understand in context how this applies to all of it. It says someone, excuse me, Luke chapter 12, it says someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me as a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Everybody say greed. So at the core, this idea of hoarding from James and this word greed comes into play when it comes to the whole conversation. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. So follow along here. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He said to himself, what shall I do? I don't have a place uh, to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Eat and drink and be merry. Take life easy. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And again, at the end of it, he's going to give you kind of the culmination. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. 
And that really is, that kind of brings in all of us into the conversation. In fact, Paul said to Timothy, he gave him a caution to anybody that had this passion, this desire for wealth that would be about them. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6, he says, those who want to get rich, so again, their heart is set on getting rich, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And here's another clincher here. Verse 10, for the love of money, and you've heard this before, but don't misquote it. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul says to Timothy, as you're learning to lead in a, in a Christian or a church context, be aware that there are people that are all about being successful based on money. And when it's based on money and them growing some kind of nest egg, but it's only about what they could buy later on that's bigger, what they could do that's about themselves that's bigger and more plush for themselves, they're going to miss the point and even to the deal where they begin to fall away from the faith. So what we learn is that in two ways, James would say our riches are worthless. One is when we hoard it for our benefit alone. And then two, and this one's pretty obvious, when you compare whatever riches you might have to God's riches. And you can go, well, that's an unfair fight. And that's kind of the point. There is not one person in here, there's not one person on the planet that could try to compare their riches to what we understand about our Heavenly Father and the riches that God has. And again, it's completely unfair to even say that, but there's some of us or some people find a certain pride in what they're able to do, in the wealth they're able to build. And what happens is they find a security and their ability to provide for themselves. They, they, they find an identity in whatever size that nest egg might become. They, they, they find that, that that's where people look at them and they ooh and awe and wow and look at that. And yet in light of who God is, it's like that's nothing compared to what God is, what God has and what God can do. In Matthew 6, again, you can write that down, verses 19 through 24. I've actually taught on this last spring. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And, and again, the focus of this, this content here, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or in other words, wherever your money goes, that's your priority. And that's what Jesus says. He goes on, and you can continue reading through verse 24. I'm going to skip ahead because we've got a lot to cover. But if you continue on, he talks about we can't serve two masters. Love the one, hate the other. Devoted to one, despise the other. We can't serve both God and money. Okay, so in that text. The key really is stewardship. And let me just give you a perspective that I think is helpful for all of us. And it's a simple prayer or a simple kind of paragraph. And this is written in those notes. But it says this, my resources aren't mine. By the way, that's 100%, not this percent for this, 100%. My resources aren't mine. I am a manager. Therefore, I can take care, or I take care of my life, of my family, and those I manage or that, uh, that work for me, and I invest in things that have an eternal impact. It's not either or, it's both and. I believe as I manage my resources as a generous steward, God will provide for me, 
and multiply my investment. I don't give to get, but I do believe that God blesses me. Just again, in a nutshell to understand, you and I are stewards of every bit of the resources we've been entrusted. 100% and how we manage it is something we need to be prayerful about. So let's continue on. Verse 7, it says, another conversation, be patient then, my brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And where is he going with these verses? Verses 7 through 11, what is this conversation about? A couple things to know. We've already mentioned that James cares deeply as a leader in the Jerusalem church and the half-brother of Jesus, cares deeply for this flock or the congregation there. But because of persecution, they've been scattered. He writes this letter going, wherever you're at all around this area, be encouraged. And in this conversation, he says, be patient. And over and over, in fact, a bunch of different times, seven different times, we observe words that give us a clear understanding that in the midst of whatever suffering is being faced, patience is required. Be patient. Wait. Keep waiting. Be patient. Stand firm. As an example of patience in verse 11, persevering or be full of perseverance. You can say, well, what does he talk? Be patient about what? And he talks about this idea of grumbling. Why is he saying this? Because he knows something that exists within the human condition. When things are going well, it's super easy to high five and to celebrate and be good with other people. When things aren't going so well, what happens? We start grumbling and we point fingers and we, well, that's why, because you do this or you do this. Anybody been a Seahawks fan for, let's say, more than a dozen years? Anybody remember 2012 and 2013? That's like the glory days of the Seahawks, right? And we rooted them on, and some of you guys are watching the game right now. I'm not looking at anybody in particular, but some of you probably are. Back in 2012 and 13, it's like, man, we're winning. Man, we got through the playoffs. Man, we won the Super Bowl. And they were high-fiving, and it was exciting. And Russ loved Richard Sherman, and Marshawn Lynch loved, you know, the whole team was excited about it, right? And we were excited. And then 2014 happened. And some of you guys are like, too soon, Pastor Nick, way too soon for this. They got all the way through the season, got all the way through the playoffs, got all the way to the Super Bowl, got all the way to the one-yard line, right towards the end of the game, and we're ready to win. And I sat on my couch for two hours at the end of that game, going, Marshawn Lynch. We had four downs. The guy would have got through. We would have won the game, but we didn't do that. Why did we do that? And what happened after that play, literally? What happened? 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and what began to happen? There began to be grumbling and complaining. You can probably today, and I didn't try this, but I'm guessing you can probably today still go to ESPN.com and find recent articles about Russell Sherman complaining against the environment or the culture, complaining against certain team members, and Marshawn Lynch outing certain conversations that happen. When things were good, everybody's great. When things aren't so good, things aren't so great. 
And that's the nature of the human condition. James says, in the midst of you being persecuted and scattered, you're having to settle in areas you're not familiar with. In these areas, it's easy in the midst of the discomfort and the frustration of what you're experiencing to begin to look at one another and grumble against each other and, 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 and backbite. Don't do that. Be patient. And some of us need to remember this because you've been in Christ, some of us, for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30, for, four, for back in the 50s, back in the 1940s, you've been serving Jesus for a long time. And it's easy as a follower of Jesus to become dis, uh, discontent and frustrated. Well, I don't agree. I've been in church a long time and we never used to do that. And that doesn't happen. How come they? And what is the pastor wearing that? All kinds of stuff. It's easy to grumble when we've been in this long enough that we're not content with who we are and where we're at. And we start looking at the wrong things. James says, be patient as the Lord's coming back. And, and it's a reminder, and I will take a moment on this, but it's a reminder from Matthew 24. If you're taking notes, write it down. We know how he's going to come back. In Acts 1 and Matthew 24, it's told us, you know, Jesus ascends into heaven, but he will come back in the same manner you saw him go into heaven. And the angels will show up, and there'll be a trumpet call, and, and, and Thessalonians talks about it. The dead in Christ will rise, and there'll be a second coming and a rapture, and it's this crazy moment. But we don't know when. And as you continue to read Matthew 24, it specifically says nobody knows the day or the hour. We don't know when it's going to happen. And we can't. People have tried for thousands of years to predict it. People at certain points, I think it's, it's going to happen soon. We better sell everything and go up to a high mountain and just wait, and he's going to come back tomorrow. Let's go, let's go, let's go. In fact, some of you might remember somebody back uh, you know, a few years ago, October 21st, 2018. They did their spiritual calendar, and apparently we all missed it, and too bad for us. And I, I make light of it, but here's the deal. While we can try to look at the signs of times and be aware, and we're, we're called and challenged to do that, Nobody knows the day or the hour. Nobody knows when. But what we are called to do, and this is a reminder, is be ready. Now, I'm going to give you an understanding of be ready that some of you never knew. First of all, be ready absolutely has everything to do with between you and God is everything good. Do you believe you're forgiven that your, your sins are paid for? Because every one of us has missed the mark in sin. But you can't be good with, with sin simply by measuring up the good things versus the bad things. It's all about what God has done in Christ on the cross. Jesus paid the price for your sin and my sin on the cross. That's the only place we find forgiveness. That's the only place we get a fresh heart. That's where salvation is found. He paid the price for all of our sin. As a church that centers ourselves around the gospel, that's the gospel. Jesus paid the price for all of our sin. He died for you and me. We've got to confess, believe that he did this and invite him into our world. God, forgive me of all of my sin. Be my Lord, be my Savior. I believe you saved me from sin, and now the Lord, I want to follow you each day of my life. That's one portion of being ready. Can I let you in on a little secret to the other portion? Be ready also means... Be about the Father's business. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Don't forget that. Remember that. I'm going to come back to it. He says, don't grumble or, and don't judge. And that would take chapter 4 from a couple of weeks ago. We already tackled that from verse 9. Uh, and then he says, uh, you have heard of Job's perseverance. And then the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And, and I want to encourage you real quick. I'm going to come back to the other conversation in a moment. I want to encourage you real quick. There are people in this room that you have a hard time believing that, that this God up in heaven is somehow compassionate and merciful. And sometimes you feel like when you blow it, you're not good enough. And what do I do? I don't belong in church. And can he really forgive me again? I can't even count how many times I've, I've done that or whatever that is. 
And yet I want to encourage you. Yes, God is that gracious. Yes, God is that merciful. You never could earn it from the beginning. What makes you think you're earning it now? It's not about you measuring up going, I'm good with God because I've done all the right things. It's not an excuse to do all the wrong things, but it's a reminder that you need God's compassion and mercy at least on a daily basis, if not way more than that, if we're all really honest and understand our condition. God is full of compassion and mercy, and this world is full of toils and snares, as the hymn says, and, and while we fall prey to those, 1 John 1, 9 still applies. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Anybody else grateful for that verse? Amen. Me too. And so not only do we understand that God is that gracious and merciful and we receive it, but listen to me carefully. If we receive it, therefore we're also required to give it. How full of compassion and mercy are you? How much do you extend God's grace into the relationships around you? Or do you find yourself when somebody disagrees or something happens in your relationships and things get a little bit tough, do you find yourself ghosting them? We don't talk anymore. We write that off. We're not around them. We play that game. How compassionate and merciful are you? Continues on. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 5, not verbatim, but real close. And, and there's two ways that I want you to understand this. When he says, above all else, let your yes be yes and your no be no, here's what he's saying. Be a person of your word so much so that you don't have to invoke like, no, 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 I'll be there this time. I totally promise. No, no, I'm going to do that. I swear on my mother's grave or I swear on the Bible or I swear to God that you don't have to be the kind of person that spiritualizes something in order for people to trust you. Be a person of your word. If you agree to something, you've committed to it, fulfill it. And don't play the spiritual game of I promise, I promise, I promise this time. Be a person of your word. The other side of it and this is where when he says, otherwise you will be condemned, you go, well, that's a harsh thing to say. Why does he say condemned? And, and what he's alluding to or what he's getting to here in this portion is, the other portion of it is don't bargain with God. See, there's a lot of us that have prayed prayers in our lives. God, if you do this, then I'll do this. Anyone? You're like, oh, just this morning. <laughs> I, I remember as a kid growing up, I grew up in this community, and, and there was a super barn over here. Anybody remember super barn, food barn, super barn? It's where Safeway is now. They, they bulldozed it and rebuilt Safeway there. Anyway, when I was a kid, on, on Friday and Saturday nights, we would go to the Marysville Skate Inn. And from 7 to 10, we would roller skate. And there's nothing more exciting in my life than when I got speed skates in eighth grade, finally. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so... Marysville skating, and you would skate from 8 to 10. And if you could afford it, you could pay an extra 5 bucks and skate from 10 to midnight. And me and my friends would skate from 7 to midnight. And then we would have, have called our parents, and I would say, hey, I'm staying at so-and-so's house. And they would say, I'm staying at so-and-so's house. And we never had to be anywhere because our parents all assumed we were staying at each other's houses. If you're a young person in here, plug your ears. Um, <laughs> anyway, so we would, we would basically go down to Super Barn, and we would buy a bunch of eggs because we were super into protein back then. Um, <laughs> 
Okay, that's, that's not why. We would get as many dozens of eggs as we could buy, and then we would go over to the railroad tracks, and on the other side of the tracks, we would throw eggs onto State Street and hit cars, and we thought it was hilarious. Um, if, that, uh, if your car got eggs somewhere between 1988 and 1991, come talk to me, and I'll repent to you in the lobby afterwards. <laughs> State Avenue, okay, between, between Grove and 116th Street. Anyway, um, so... Uh, that's what we would do. And, and, and we got eggs one day and we were over there and we threw eggs and all of a sudden immediately there was sirens and cop cars like you wouldn't believe. And we freak out and we scatter. And we didn't have a plan of what to do. We were just like, oh no. So I ran and I managed to get myself into Super Barn and I prayed that prayer. God, if you get me out of this. Now, I wasn't a believer in Jesus. I wasn't, I just knew there was something spiritual up there and I wanted to make sure that whatever I am and that spiritual thing, that we're good. So I didn't know the details. And my, here's what my prayer life used to be. And this is ridiculous, but bear with me. I used to pray every night as a kid growing up. I always believed in something, but here's what my prayer sounded like. I'm not even kidding. Lord, everything I usually pray, amen. Don't <laughs> talk about deep, right? I mean, I was, that's what I, so when I, I'm in super barn and I'm like, I, I don't want to get arrested. So I literally go, Lord, if you get me out of this, I will pray every night for real. That was my prayer. And I'm in there, I'm scurrying around like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know what we're going to do. And all of a sudden, a friend comes walking in with their parent and they, I begged them and they gave me a ride home and I got home and everything was good. I'm like, good. And I, ever since then, I prayed. I don't know who to pray to, but I prayed. And I was bless so-and-so, bless so-and-so, bless so-and-so, amen. Okay. So, but bargaining, that was the whole point of that. Okay. Um, but here's what's crazy. Me as a dumb kid who doesn't know anything is bargaining, but we still do it today. There are people in here that you prayed maybe early on or maybe you're praying this now. God, if you would just make that person fall in love with me and we got married, then, then I'll for sure be committed to you. God, if you get me this raise, then I'll totally be generous like you talked about earlier. God, if you do this thing, then I'll for sure do this. And the idea is we bargain with a God who in heaven is up there going, I've already done everything. You don't need to bargain with me. I've already taken care of everything. Do you realize, and this is a whole other sermon, that everything in, heaven's dis everything in heaven, power in heaven, is at your disposal? Do you realize that? God's grace and goodness and favor, bless all of it. We don't have to bargain because we could never measure up. It would be like all of a sudden you have a rich dad who decides to buy you an a, a, a incredible mansion with a beach house on the bay, and you're like, oh, I got like 50 bucks, dad, here, thanks. Like, it doesn't even make sense. And I say that because that's how good our God is. That we don't have to bargain. Well, if I just measure up enough, then he'll bless me enough. We don't have to play that game. We, we can't play that game. Because God has way more than we could ever imagine. So what's the point? For us to lean into God's goodness and believe that, one, we need to be people of our word, and two, we need to understand that God's grace and goodness blesses us in immeasurable ways that, that Paul even wrote about. We can't even fathom the heights and depths and wits all this of God's amazing love for us in Christ. That's how good it really is. He says in verse 13, James 5, Is any, uh, anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Here's what I love. For you and I that are growing on this journey of maturity and wanting to become more like Christ, one of the hallmarks of our lives is that we're growing in prayer and praise. If you're going through stuff that has you burdened, if you have things at 2 a.m. you're losing sleep about because you're stressed, 
If you've got somebody that lives near you that you feel this, man, they've got rough stuff going on, and I, I just feel for them, pray. Pray. And can I just tell you this to oversimplify prayer? Prayer is a conversation between you and God. And yes, it starts with you showing up and going, God, here I am. And here's this situation, and I don't even know what to do. And here's this thing that, that burdens me, but Lord, would you heal? And here's this, this relationship, God, would you help me figure out how to bring closure, peace in it? Or here, whatever it is that, that has you burdened, bring it to God. And you, I notice I said conversation. It's not monologue. I bring the stuff and I pray and then I just, I'm done. Can I encourage you in prayer when you bring the stuff? Here's all the stuff, God. To stop and wait and just go, Lord, is there anything you would want to impress upon me? And some of you go, I don't even know what, you can hear God? But the nature of this whole idea of relationship is that God does speak to us, that God does remind us of certain things. And, and oftentimes in my own life, it's simple phrases. God's a reminder of his grace, his love, his provision, of the peace he's given. I'm here. I got that. I hear you. I care. But, but for you and I to learn to grow in prayer is to learn to grow in not only bringing the stuff that burdens us, but allowing the Holy Spirit to bring strength and peace. I'm not going to quote it today. Most of you already know it, but Philippians 4, 4 through 8 gives you a roadmap about that prayer and what God can do when you bring stuff to him. Is anyone among you in trouble? Pray. How about, is anybody happy? Then sing. Then praise him. And it doesn't matter if you can sing or not. And I'm in the category of not. I've said before, I change keys more times than, than I don't even compare it to anything because I was about to, and that was weird. Okay. I can't sing, but I sing before the Lord. And let me just give you a couple of things. One, um, if you listen to Spotify, one of the things you can do, and you can probably do this with other formats, but I'm familiar with Spotify. I can go on there in the search engine and I can type in worship and I can click on a playlist. And there are some that are like a million hours long. And if I'm, I don't care for that, I'm going to put worship 2023. If you like more modern stuff, you go, I like the hymns. Good. Type worship hymns. And you can click on play and it'll give you a list. The reason I say it is because oftentimes what happens when we're happy that's a dumb example, but we're, hey, if, if any, anybody, anybody among you happy, sing. And what we do is hip, hop, hip, hip, hop, celebrate, good, right? That's in our head. What if, I know you're like, what did he just do? There are great churches around, go find them. <laughs> I say that because when you're listening to worship and you're allowing praise songs to fill your head, then when something good happens, it's pretty awesome to be able to sing a song to God about how thankful you are rather than just simply singing, singing celebrate good times. And I'm not against celebrate good times. Me, Cool, and the gang, we're buddies. I never met them, but the song, anyway, so. Is anyone among you sick? Then call upon those in the church that lead to pray for you. And they can anoint you with oil. And that's not a weird thing. And we do that. And we have little bottles of anointing oil. And we'll just get some and, and, and put our hand on your head or your, your hand there and just pray with you and believe that God is a healer because he is. What is the oil about? It's not magic. It's literally symbolic of the Holy Spirit at work. And so we believe in that. And, and, and when we do this on, on Sundays, we say, come on up and pray. That's part of that. It's why even on Wednesdays when we pray, I've said before, I posted it last week. Hey, if you just need prayer, we pray from 6.30 to 7.20 each week on Wednesdays. Join us. But if you just need prayer, show up. We'll pray for you and you can leave. You don't have to be there but a few minutes. But if you need prayer, we believe God is a healer. Does anybody? 
Come on, does anybody believe that? That God is a healer, that God is a redeemer, that God is the one who forgives, that God is the one who restores, that God is the one who sets free, that God does all of these things, but why wouldn't we bring the burdens to him to answer? Is anybody sick? Let him pray, watch him be healed. And then it says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. And I'm gonna skip some here because I'm running out of time, but you go, well, don't we confess to God? Why do I have to confess to people? Let me say this. Absolutely, I believe wholeheartedly, when you confess to God, he forgives. But let me also say this. There's something powerful about having the kind of accountability that you can confess to somebody, I'm not doing so well. And I've said before, I have a love-hate relationship with accountability, but I always have accountability. I always, what I mean by that, somebody who always asks me the tough questions. How's your marriage? How are you treating your kids? How's the spiritual dynamic of your life? How's your prayer life? Hey, how's your thought life? How's your eyes and your hands and all that? How are you doing? And there's days where I'm good with it and there's days where I'm not good with it because I don't have great answers. But I have accountability and just to be completely transparent, I've always said, I don't want to get away with anything. And in church world, and this is for any of us in any world, I guess. But in church world, there's a whole lot of scandals out there about what happens. And I have accountability because I don't want to be the person who's trying to get away with stuff. I don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's good. I think it, it, can, it can rule so many leaders out. And so for me to have somebody ask me the questions, and there are days where I have to confess, you know what? Didn't go so well. You know what? That attitude was not good. You know what? What came out of my mouth in that moment? Not good at all but I'm willing to say those things because I feel the tension of somebody asking me, confess, pray for each other. Let God heal you. He talks about Elijah and then this, and I'm gonna end with this. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, then remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways saves them from death and covers over a multitude of sins. I'm going back to something I was saying, and I'm gonna finish with this. How does James end this letter to the church he cares about? Because here's what Paul would do. Hey, here's some stuff, and here's some challenges, and here's some issues, and by the way, high five Billy for me, tell Sally way to go, love that casserole dish the other day, and uh, have a great time, see you in a few years. Paul would always give some sort of salutation. What does James say? It's not even a trick question. His ending is literally be about the father's business. What is the father's business? Turning a sinner from the error of their ways is to turn them towards who? Jesus. Jesus. I was forgetting to ask for a second, so I couldn't. James literally ends the entire letter with this. Let's make sure the Great Commission is our passion. Turn people away from the stuff that, that, that has them away from God and turn them to Jesus. Well, what are we doing, you and I, to be about the Father's business? When I, when I said, be ready, one is, how are you and God with Jesus? Have you invited him in? But the second is for you and I to be ready for whenever he comes back is that we're about the Father's business. And the Father's business is for you and I to go make disciples. That make disciples. That make disciples. 
that make, you're like, are you having a stroke? What's going on there? No, but we're called to make disciples. What are you doing to move the needle in the lives of people around you? What are you doing? In fact, I'm gonna give you homework and I gotta be done. If somebody were to say to you, you're one of those spiritual people, why? Or you're a Christian, how come? Or you go to church, what's that about? Or however people phrase it. Would you know what to say? And real quick, I would say this. If when I ask that question, you go, I don't know what I would say. I want you to work on that. Because it is our responsibility to explain why the gospel matters to us personally whenever that door opens in conversation with other people. And sometimes they'll directly ask, and I've been directly asked more times than I can count. And other times it's just in conversation that the door opens and they got burdens and things going on and it begins to move to a spiritual portion of the conversation rather than just the Seahawks or whatever. And pretty soon you're able to talk about, you know what, this is why it matters to me. What Jesus did to bring forgiveness to my life and, and, and why eternity, and I don't believe we're done when we die here, there's an eternity. Do you know how to explain that in a way that opens the hearts of other people around you? Because those opportunities should come up. And if you don't know, then I would say, you have some homework to do. I need to be done. Jesus, today, this is so many conversations. This, this is a 10-part series in one chapter. But God, I pray whatever in this conversation resonates. And even as we wrap up the whole of this entire letter, that, that consider it pure joy when you face trials. And don't just listen to the word, do what it says. And be aware that our faith requires action because it's the natural outflow of, of, of responding to what you've done. And, and don't show favoritism. And don't fall prey to worldly wisdom, but lean into godly wisdom. And, and, and walk out being generous. Be careful of your speech. Be patient as the Lord is coming. And make sure you're not grumbling against each other. Learn how to continue to move in your prayer life. Be a person of praise and go make disciples. Father, Help us walk this out. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.